For those of you that are joining me for the first time, my name is Nancy Giacalone, and I started this podcast because I have a love of baking and cooking and business and personal success. And I noticed that there was one thing that all those had in common and that everybody that is successful or every recipe that turns out well has one critical ingredient that is key to their success. So that is the background of this podcast. And today I'm super excited to have my dear friend who I've yet to meet in person, by the way, uh, Kimberly Langford join me from Specialty Care Management. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to get to lock arms with you in August. I know, for real. Ah, and no germs, but be just I'm just brace yourself because a hug is forthcoming. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so let's kick it off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself. And I want to start with the fact it's not on the screen at the moment, but this lady has more initials behind her name than most people I know. And I want to know what, what all of those designations are for, because I think they tell us a little bit about you. Well, I don't know how that happens. I still, it was so, so funny. A few years ago, I remember I was at this certain place in my career and I was telling a girlfriend, I says, I don't know how I got to be the grown up in the room. <laughs> how, how did I get here? But so the initials behind the name, um, they're different certifications. So I am a registered nurse with my bachelor's in science of nursing. I'm also a certified uh, in, in case management, nursing case management and in professional coaching. I'm also a registered and internationally certified Reiki master and teacher. Um, and uh, yeah, so sometimes I'm full of BS. So, <laughs> so you throw that one on there every once in a while too, just to, just to keep people hopping. So did you that one? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what specialty care management is, why you're there and why you're passionate about it, because I know you are. Uh, well, I tell you, I think I've been really blessed in my career, in my lifetime. I've really been able to partner up with some fantastic people. And I would say that um, working with specialty care management is, has, has been and is really a highlight in terms of the quality of people that I've been able to work with. And at specialty care management, what, I, what really excites me besides the fact that our, our foundational product, our core product, what we're famous for is our product for dialysis in particular. And as a nurse, uh, I spent the greater part of my career, uh, almost 20 years in really focusing in on kidney disease, simply because what I saw in my clinical practice was that, you know, we put people, if you've got diabetes or heart disease, just step right up. We put people on a conveyor belt. You've heard me say it before. Regardless of what we say we're doing, what I see in the field is we stick people on a conveyor belt. We just stand around and watch while it takes them right off a cliff. And there's a ton of money at the bottom of the cliff, right? Not to be yep. cynical, but that's, that's just, that's what it is. And it really frustrated me because to a large degree, it's really preventable. And you know, from a payer perspective and a member perspective, dialysis in terms of the procedure itself and the, the pricing, it, it feels predatory. Um, and I don't mean to be inflammatory. That's just what it feels like for the people who are in the throes of it. And so 
uh, for a long time. I did that in my clinical practice where I kind of felt like I was helping one starfish at a time. I built a nurse case management program that addressed um, helping folks um, catch um, kidney disease early on and either delay or halt the progression to dialysis. And I've got squillions of incredible stories. People who've been able to stay off of dialysis for more than 10 years, that's huge. And Absolutely. they were on the brink of dialysis where most people think, well, it's inevitable. And uh, that's just hugely rewarding. But again, it's one starfish at a time, right? Um, which is still valuable and very rewarding. Um, but what excites me the most about what we do here at Specialty Care Management, besides the fact that you've probably heard me say it before, the fish stinks from the head, right? Smells really good from the head. We have, yeah. we have probably the best leadership I've ever worked with in my career here. And is is fairly narrow in that we look to mitigate the risk of high cost catastrophic claims like those for dialysis, cancer, air ambulance, out of network claims. It's a fairly narrow niche. We're really good at it. Like I say, you know, you can't be an expert in all things. We're an expert in some of those big things. And that's what that's really what we seek to do is take the bite out of some of those claims. Super exciting. And in so doing. I really, it feels like Nancy, I'm able to help a whole lot of starfishes. So yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a really good um, description of what you do. And, you know, in life, in medical care in everything, it's a small percentage of claims that make up a lot that make up a large dollar amount. So it's always, you know, sometimes I say the 80, 20 rule, 20% 20 of the people do 80% of the work. It's the same yeah. thing when it comes to what, when it comes to healthcare, except I think those numbers are a little bit more dramatic. It can be five to 10% of the claims can account for 90% of the actual costs. And so if you can address a few of those really high I don't even want to use the term shock claims, but those high claims, if you can help mitigate the cost, get them into a more cost effective with better outcomes, mm -hmm. everybody wins and we have happy starfish. Right. And, and, you know, the other part of that that really excites me is that, you know, when you look at risk mitigation, cost is a piece of it's an important piece. It's a big chunk of that pie, but it's not the only piece of the pie. Exactly. Right. So that's why even in our even in our cost containment programs, I call it's like a gift with purchase. We include a nurse. So when folks reprice dialysis claims with us, those members also get a nurse um, to help them thrive on dialysis and understand their Medicare benefit. Those are huge. I'll tell you, the dialysis clinics tell you that they're teaching your members about dialysis and some of them or, or teach them about Medicare, sorry. Uh, and, and some of them may, but I tell you, I've talked to thousands of, of members across the country. And more often than not, the story I hear is, I was told not to file for Medicare because I lose my benefit, which is not true. And so that in of itself is a huge component. It's a gift with purchase. I love that. I love that gift with purchase. Like going to the Estee Lauder counter. I don't know. Right? Who doesn't love that? Give me a little gift. But, but two, these members, Nancy, they're not only expensive because of the therapy, they're expensive because they don't have a clue how they got here. And so obviously they don't understand what factors in terms of how they're living their day-to-day -day lives, what factors do they have control over that are going to make a difference in their therapy. So when they get sick, 
they end up in the hospital. And when they're in the hospital, they're not in the regular floor, right? They're in the ICU. They're very expensive, even outside of the scope. Every advancing stage of, of kidney disease, people become incredibly exponentially more uh, expensive. So offering that, it's a, just a gift. You know, people don't pay extra for it. It's a huge piece of that in terms of risk mitigation. And then looking upstream, you know, how do we slow or prevent that progression to dialysis? It's a, it's a game changer and has a huge uh, impact in terms of a group, uh, a group in terms of their cost. Oh, absolutely. So I warned you I would potentially go off script. So here, here we go. Let's go. I'm down the first rabbit hole. So I know that that you believe in this because you and I have exchanged comments back and forth on things, but why do you think that people are so reluctant to take charge of their own health before we get, before we get to the point where things need to be mitigated for lack of a better term, because so much could change so dramatically for our entire country Mm-hmm. if people would take some personal responsibility in their healthcare journey. Well, you're you're going to have to temper me here because I have <laughs> pretty strong feelings about that. Simply because what I see is that we really take the member and we they're the bad guy, right? Especially if you hang out with dialysis nurses and know uh, it's a hard job. So I'm not I'm not ditching on my colleagues that work in the dialysis clinics and so not what I want to do. But really truly we put we put members in the corner and we treat them like children. That's not our intent, right? But the, the, the message that, that is received by the member is, uh, I was a bad child. I didn't do what mommy and daddy told me to do. I deserve what I got. And that, honestly, that infuriates me. I think there's two factors really that are why people don't move when, when I know, when we know they should move. And it's the same with with your employer groups and and broker advisors consultants as it is with patients right or members and that is one there's no sense of urgency right urgency and ease those are my two hot buttons so matter of fact like i said i've talked to uh, probably tens of thousands of people across the country members that and uh, more often than not the 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 question or the statement i hear is that doesn't apply to me. I don't have any kidney disease. Now they can have a GFR of like 17. My one of my favorite. I have lots of stories to, that are my some of my favorites to share. So a, a GFR of 17 is two points away from end stage. Um, kidneys are failing, and dialysis is inevitable, right? But they've never been told, or they never got the message, right? As a matter of fact, there was a survey. I can't remember where it came out. Some medical journal it came out. Somewhere upwards of 80 or 90% of doctors surveyed, they don't want to tell people bad news, right? So we don't say you've got diabetes and you're going to end up with liver and kidney failure and blind and you're going to lose your limbs if you don't start, you know, let's get you with a diet. We don't tell them that. We say you've got a touch of sugar, right? We say you need to go home and get your A1C down, which means absolutely nothing to them, right? right? So most of the members that, you know, we're concerned about they've heard it. They've been in case management before that hasn't done anything for them. Quite honestly, they've been told to go home and lose weight. They've been told to go home and quit smoking, get your A1Cs down, you know, exercise. 
means nothing to them, right? If you talk to them, they say, well, step into my world, baby doll. <laughs> I'm up and shaking. I'm out the door at 7 a.m. I've got my muffin and my cup of coffee and I'm out the door and I hoof it. And then 11 o'clock and it's lunchtime and I grab something from the vending machine because I've got this meeting or I've got to go out, blah, 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 right? And they're this busy, busy, busy. And I get home and I've got two hours to live my life and spend with the people that mean the most to me. And now you want me to put on an apron and be Donna Reed. And who the heck has time to exercise? So it's really not a matter of how come people aren't doing this. It's, it's really uh, what's missing. Instead of asking why, I hate that question, why? My question is, what's getting in the way? Is it a lack of understanding, a lack of strategy, uh, a lack of support? We talk about incentives a lot, and that also ticks me off. I don't think you should have, I don't, it makes no sense to me to pay somebody to have them enjoy a higher level of well-being. Right? I agree with that 100%. I can tell people you need to go home and get your A1C down. That means nothing. But if you ask them, do you want to be fat, sick, tired, lazy, broke? No. Right? Nobody wants, we all want the same thing. We all want to be able to live life on our terms, spend time with the people that matter most. We want to have time. I talked to a gal, one of my favorite stories a few years ago. Uh, she had a prominent position in her city uh, government. She had everything cooking on the outside, you know, the nice house, the boat, the new car, two kids, nicely dressed, just a beautiful family. And when you asked her, you know, how, what, what her life was like, she, she, tell, she, she shared, I feel like a failure as a mother. I come home at the end of my day, my kids want to play and I'm spent. I've got nothing. They, that's what they don't want, right? So I think it's really a matter of, are we sharing value for the, the member who is at the center of everything we do and they absolutely drive our cost and they, they drive our ROI in any kind of a care management program. They drive the whole thing. Matter of fact, they have all the power to drive our industry. They just don't know it, right? But they don't know it because we're not speaking the same language. You're, you're so true. And I've, um, I've shared this before, but if you go to a healthcare provider for whatever condition or problem or symptom you may have, they don't actually care about you. I shouldn't say that. Right. Most of them don't have the time. They don't. To care about you. Well, they, they, are on a, they are on a very short window. Right. They don't ask what else is going on in your life. As you said, what's getting in the way? That question never comes up. It's here's a pill. I'll see you in six months. And I, I, I have, I had last year, my cholesterol was up and I know that I have a hereditary cholesterol problem in my family, but I also eat incredibly well. I don't eat much, many fatty foods. I don't eat the things that would be contributing to cholesterol. And I, I exercise on the Peloton. And I exercise regularly, but my, my, my cholesterol is up. Now I was pretty sure it was stress related and also just the timing of the test. And so I said to my doctor, I said, I don't want to take cholesterol medication. I'm adamantly opposed unless it becomes a medical necessity. I said, right now, I don't think it is. Why don't you give me six weeks and let's see, let's retest and see where it is. And he was very reluctant to let me have a say in my own healthcare decision. Yeah. I came back, my cholesterol was back where it needed to be. 
And you know how they give you all the risk factors. And he's like, okay, well, all these risk factors, their score isn't high enough to put you on cholesterol medication. I'm like, well, I pretty much knew that, which is why I wanted to, to, to retest. But so if we go, if we follow your track, if doctors aren't asking us what's getting in the way, we also have to take it back one step further and say, what's getting in the way of them being able to give actual appropriate care and ask questions about lifestyles and, you know, the other like stressors. To. They would like to. I've sat around tables and big conferences with these providers and I've listened to them lament about the fact that they wish that they could do what we do. Um, it's not that there's not the desire, but you're right. There's not the time. Most, most of your doctors in the, in the system, I'm not talking about DPC docs. No. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Cause they're a totally different breed. You want to harness the power of, of, you know, Marcus Welby's kind of, that, that's anyway, I'm a big fan of DPC, but regardless, that's what they talk. Most docs that, that, you know, I work with in a traditional setting, they're seeing 30, 60. I talked to a guy here last week, 80 patients in an eight hour day. Shh, how the heck do you do that? How do you do that and have any care done? You don't. And keep in mind, these guys are rounding in a hospital before they come to work and they're rounding. That's why I would love to go to medical school, but I would not want to work like they do because they have no life. Yeah. Yeah. It's very stressful and they're programmed to think a certain way. Most docs, they, you know, the most, they get very little nutrition. They get very little in terms of, you know, alternative complementary health. A lot of docs are savvy about those things, but a lot of them aren't. Now, interesting to your story, I've worked with a lot of members when they're educated as to how to properly talk to their physician, how to develop that relationship. I've had members sometimes even say, well, here, talk to my nurse, right? I've got, I'm plugged in, I'm dialed, I've got support. Those physicians are highly likely to say, well, you know what, let's try it. Right. Let's try some things. I'm willing to give you, but there's this piece, right? It's like doctors and nurses, they don't work the same way with each other. You've got a doctor who's got an unskilled nurse. He's not going to work with it the same way that he works with a nurse who knows what he or she is doing, right? Right, right, right. Totally different. It's the same thing for members. When a member's educated as to how to navigate the system, how to work with their physician, they go in and they can take their logs with their blood pressure and they're tracking their labs and they have that stuff and they're they're asking about the dietitian. Those docs are more willing to say, you're plugged in, you've got the support. Let's give this another six months. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think it's a it's kind of a a chicken and egg situation because until until people start taking better care of themselves and their own personal health. I know they don't know how, that's what I'm saying. But until they do that, the doctors aren't going to have time to, to get into. So it's such a, it's such a global problem. There's just not one place you can point a finger at. You can't point a finger at the doctors. You can't point a finger at the insurance companies. You can't point a finger at the consumers. It is really a very overall global problem. And, and it it's very frustrating to me to see, especially in our industry, so much finger pointing going on because until everyone comes together and says, I've got an idea and somebody else says that I've got an idea and I've got an idea and let's work together to achieve this. We're not going to get out of this mess that we're in. No. And, and I think, I think in that respect, 
Uh, and again, you'll get me going off topic and down another uh, passionate rabbit hole. But I think that's a real, that's a place for old school nurse, specialty nurse care management. Right. You know, case management and wellness gets a bad rep because all they are is glorified. And I don't want to ditch on my colleagues and who do that, but it's glorified medical shopping. Sure, sure. I go for the best deal. That's not what changes behavior. If no. you get to the, if you want to save the most on things like dialysis and cancer, doggone it, don't need them. Yep. Take care of yourself and don't develop kidney failure where possible. Now there are some genetic things that people don't have control over. Hundred percent. Even in those conditions where we have a genetic kind of thing, you absolutely can do something to mitigate some of that risk or slow it down or reduce the the severity. You ab- it doesn't mean that you're impotent and powerless, right? No. no. Okay. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to reel us back onto the main path and let's talk about Reiki. Oh, because you are a certified Reiki master. I'm, I'm feel like there should be crystals and lights going on behind you when I say that. So I will tell you Reiki something I don't know very much about. So tell me and our audience what is Reiki? What attracted it to you? What attracted you to it? Just tell me the Reiki story. Oh my goodness. Well, many years ago, so I, I've always had a little uh, marketing something or other on the side. And years and years ago, I put together a series of workshops. We called ourselves the Glam Slam team. I was the makeup artist in the group. And uh, we had a nurse practitioner there. And of course, I was still a nurse. I've, I've been a nurse as long as I've been out running my own business as well. And so I had a a nurse practitioner there. I had a counselor and a nutritionist. I had a fitness guru. I had a self-defense guy. I had, I pulled all these complimentary people together. We did this, this uh, three, it was over the course of three weekends that we ran this series of workshops. It was wonderful. And one of the people brought uh, who's now a dear friend of mine and my mentor, Cindy Wanick, who's my Reiki master. I'd never heard of Reiki before. And so she was kind of my introduction. But back then, uh, there was a period where I was the president of our holistic chamber of commerce up in North Idaho. And so I was meeting some different folks and I was learning a little bit about energy. And those people, in my opinion, were nuts. You know, you walk up to them and they're feeling a tree or a rock and they're, oh, and I'm thinking, I don't know what you've been smoking, sister, but that's a rock, right? So it meant nothing to me, but I'm open and I'm teachable and I totally get I had some experience with acupuncture and I've seen on, on MRI uh, what chi uh, looks like. We can pick it up on a scan like that where it looks like this, where a nerve or a blood vessel would be, only it's like light. It's crazy. Blew my mind, right? So I'm in this state where I'm kind of open and teachable and I was starting to learn about energy and chi and chakras and, and uh I was attuned to Reiki by my Reiki master and worked with Reiki for about 10 years just for myself and my family and patients. I would share that with patients, uh, some incredible stories where I had nothing left to give. A lot of times with end of life situations or, or pain, I had situations where at the end of a nursing visit, I had nothing left to give uh, for a, a patient who was in horrible pain. And so I would give Reiki and their pain would go from like a 12 to a two. I mean, where before I walked in, they were in a chair and they couldn't get up. So, so take a step backwards and tell me what exactly is Reiki? 
So Reiki is, it's a, it's a modality. It's a complementary modality that really can be a great complement to any kind of a healing process or need, whether that's emotional or physical or spiritual. And Reiki, in Reiki practice, a practitioner will lay hands on if they're registered, right? I'm licensed, so I will put hands on people. Some folks, if you go to a like a massage or massage therapist, they're licensed, they'll put hands on. Some people won't. You'll see them hover. It's the same. If they're not licensed, they shouldn't touch you. Um, but basically, chi is universal energy. It's life force energy that flows through all living things. Matter of fact, I'll show it to you. Cause it's kind of cool. So I have, she flows through all living things and the earth is, you know, bound by certain electromagnetic forces. So a lot of times I'll use a pendulum to help people see what chi is or get a feel for it. Um, it works on the earth's electromagnetic pull. So for instance, I have here a, uh, so this is a fake plant. It's pretty, I put lavender oil on it so I can smell it, but it's not real, it's plastic. So if I take my pendulum, the pendulum will pick up this life force energy we've been talking about if I quit moving it here. Um, so we hold this over an inanimate object, a non-living thing doesn't have really doesn't really have much going on. Right, right. But if we take a living thing, so this is a live plant. Plants grow really well in my Reiki office, by the way. I bet they do. So if we hold the pendulum over a live plant. Oh, I can see it. Oh, that's crazy. You'll see it start to, it's really I when I'll give this to people because they think, well, you're moving it and then they do it. And I go, oh, my gosh, that's really I don't understand what's happening here. But anyway, so. OK, so so Reiki is about energy. It's about using energy in the healing process. Right. And so energy will flow through the body through seven major energy centers called chakras. If there's a blockage of energy that can happen with a poor night's sleep, stress. Um, a disease process, an illness, something like that, an injury, then it can become blocked and it will manifest itself in, in some kind of symptomology that's associated with the organs and systems that chakra feeds. So a Reiki practitioner seeks to unblock uh, areas where there might be blockages of chi and ensure that energy is flowing freely and is balanced throughout the body. So most people fall asleep on my Reiki table. I use a combination of um, Reiki and Tibetan healing bowls. I'm a certified Tibetan healing bowl practitioner as well. So of course you are. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you feel that um, alternative forms of medicine such as, or healing, we'll call it that, such as Reiki and healing ball and massage and acupuncture, how do you think that fits in and complements um, traditional Western medicine? Well, I, I definitely think it does. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, I, I have a yen for the medicine and medical arts. Um, I love learning about that. And I love learning about oriental 
uh, medicine as well. And when you compare the two, it's the same. It's the same theories, the practice of medicine as we know it here in the West. It's the same. It's just a different um, way of looking at the same thing. It's, it's like, have you ever seen the picture of the, the thing that's the old woman and the beautiful duchess? It's kind of like that. It's the same thing. It's the same principles. It's just a different way of seeing it. So, yeah. Oh, gosh. I just noticed who is here. Priscilla Romans, who we love, Priscilla. Yeah, I was, was going to actually mention her a little bit ago when you were talking about what it's like to, to really have somebody on your side. So, yay, oh. Priscilla. We're, we're glad to see you here. Um, okay. So, you're a, a connector and supporter of people, which is one of the things that I've always admired about you since I first got to know you. So how do you think that focusing on just creating good relationships and good connections has helped you in business and life, et cetera? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, it brought me a husband of almost 20 years. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Best lipstick I ever sold. No, <laughs> I digress. Uh, you know, honestly, Nancy, in my mind, people are everything. And I think uh, when we take people out of the equation, that's when things go bad, yeah, whether that's in our personal life or in business. You look at businesses that really excel uh, and that have, uh, you know, a modicum of success. It's admirable. It's usually because of the people. And likewise, when businesses fail, when relationships or marriages fail, families fail, whatever, that's that's people, too. And um, people uh, and helping people, particularly my life mission has always been to help people live their best lives. That includes myself, right? Myself, my family and then outwards in my sphere of influence. How can I be a bright spot in somebody's day, whether that means we do business or not? And I think. You know, sometimes that can catch people unawares. They're looking for a catch, maybe. Um, I think a, a lot of us are hungry for that kind of thing. But I think it's hard because sometimes we tend to, it's our nature to focus on, well, how, what are they going to think about me? Right. And it's a very selfish place to be. It doesn't feel like when we're in that thought process, right? Because we're really, we think that we're focusing on the other person, but the attention there is really on us. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Right. I don't, I don't want them to think poorly. I don't want them to see me without my makeup on kind of thing, right? And yet that doesn't matter. When we take ourselves out of the equation and we really focus on other people, I think that's how we, that's how we become. That's how we have any capacity at all to contribute something of significant good for the most people we can. And it feels good. It's a lot easier than worrying about me. Yep, I agree. So, okay, last question before we go on to the, before we move on to the five burning questions, but we touched on this a little bit earlier and I'd like to come back to it. Why do you think people are so adverse to change and to try something different. I see it with brokers being afraid to look at different solutions. I see it with individuals afraid to try a different form of healing. I see it with employers with um, afraid to change their plan, even though it may be better for their employees and save them money. I see it in with my staff. I, I mean, I see it every single day. People 
are so stuck because they're so afraid to try something different. What, what do you think holds people back so much? What do you think makes them afraid? I don't know. I just, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that I really struggle with in my head because um, maybe I'm too unafraid to try different things. I mean, I, I, well, I think the more we step out of our comfort zone and that we find that really that is where we grow in that uncomfortable place, it is uncomfortable to change, even if it's desperately needed, right? Uh, you can be in an abusive situation. Why does a woman stay in an abusive situation? I'll just speak from, because I have a little bit of that in my background too. We do because it's scary. This is known. This is not known. What's going to happen to me when I step out of here? So usually, whether it's in our personal lives or in a business setting, it's hard to move until it becomes so painful that we have to, right? So what I have found is that in the times in my life where I have moved, uh, it has, even though it's not, that process is uncomfortable and I'm not sure of myself, uh, maybe I'm not the expert anymore. Now I'm in this unfamiliar, got to start over, whatever verbiage you want to put on that. There's growth there. And I think the more times we practice with that, like anything else, we, we develop faith in the process of becoming. And that becomes delicious. And then the question becomes, okay, if I know that human nature is to not move until it hurts, right? There's a sense of urgency. Right, right. Right? Then how can I create that sense of urgency before it's thrust upon me? That's when magic happens. That's where people move and shake. That's where people create incredible businesses and, and great value for their clients. And that's where people have their most growth is when, when we choose to put that urgency on ourselves rather than waiting for it to come because it will come. Right. No, absolutely. And I think conversely to what you're saying. So if you're in a sales, let's just say sales type of position or like mm -hmm. I am where I'm working with him, with employers and I'm, and I, and I can clearly see that this would be so great for them, but they can't see it. So my job would be then to make it so attractive that they urgent. almost can't and to create urgent. the urgency, urgency. There you you've go. Got, you've got to have a little bit, th there's a fine line and people, I've, I've had people argue with me on this one. I think fear and well, I know fear is the best motivator. It is the most potent motivator. 100%. Now there's a fine line. You have to give people enough where they can see, just like I'm sitting across with somebody, honey, your GFR 17. Right. What does this mean for you? That's going to invoke the fear that's going to make that person move, provided there's hope. So I think you have fear and you have hope, right? You have the pain point and you have the solution and it's present. This is here. It's upon you, right? That's what creates the movement. So that's in terms of a matter of fact, my colleague, Sean here at Special, we were talking about the same thing. That's the real key. How do you help people see where they are? And from a member's perspective, you do that with labs. From a broker, advisor, consultant's perspective, you do that through data. Sure, sure. Um, it's that's fascinating. I love your perspective on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that the next time I I talk to an employer and want to get them because I I have almost adverse in some ways to trying to sell them. I want to help them, and I so I sometimes don't put the urgency on them because I want them to make a decision that's best for them. 
So good point. You know, it's interesting. It's like when you go see a skilled physician, he's going to make some strong recommendations and he's confident or she's confident in those recommendations because, and they present that and you go along with it. Not because you're blind, right? because you've had enough information to make the right decision. Right. And I think that as we grow in confidence and knowing these solutions work, and I know where you are, and I know what's coming for this group, it's going to be here. It's present. And then here's the hope. When you, It's kind of like if I walk up to a horse, Nancy, and I'm afraid, I don't have to. The horse doesn't say, oh, the poor deer. Yeah. I'm so big and she's so small. I know she's afraid. All he knows is there's something not right there. And I'm not going to have a good ride. But if I walk up to a horse and I know what I'm doing, the horse is going to naturally do what I, I want them to do. It's the people are the same. We're all horses. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, what, as you know, I'm a Peloton fan. And one of the instructors, what he, he will often say when he's giving instructions, he'll say, I make suggestions, you make decisions. And I love that saying. And I think about it because he'll say, here's what I'm suggesting, but you'd still need to decide what's right for you. And so I think with that mentality, that that helps move the bar. Um, don't you love working with a good coach? Yeah, because yeah. you don't want to, because A, you don't want to let him down. So it's like, right. well, I guess my decision is going to be to keep up as much as I possibly can. I'm no weenie, not yeah. me. No, sir. Yeah, so that's really fun. Okay, so we finally made it to my five burning questions. And I've been dying to ask you this because I know you love to cook. I, my first question is always, what is your absolute favorite food in the world? And can you cook it? There are so many. But you have to choose one. Well, I tell you, if I choose, if I chose, if I had to choose one that I, actually I can't, I have two chicken, okay. chicken tostadas mm. and cheesecake. Cheesecake. No one has said that one before. So you, you're a winner. I have a kick butt recipe for cheesecake. These are both my mom's recipes. Come to think of it. That's probably why they're my favorite, but they're delicious. Nice, nice. You'll have to okay. come to dinner sometime. We'll yes. Yeah. Well, we could put on a spread between the two of us for sure. <laughs> uh, so, what's the one character trait you admire most in others, and why? If I had to pick one, Nancy, I would say it's compassion, because compassion, I think, is the birthplace of a whole lot of other uh, character traits that are significant, like integrity and competence. Somebody who really cares is going to do the work to be competent and to serve. Somebody who really cares is never going to do something for their benefit over yours. And somebody who is really compassionate, they're not going to speak a myth, mistruth or try to mislead. They're going to work and live with a, a, a integrity. So if you had to boil it down to one, I would say it's compassion. I love that. So what is the one character trait in yourself that you're most proud of? I would say compassion. And I work on that most with the people in my own four walls, right? Yep. A hundred percent. Yep. Okay. So if you could magically, you've got a magic wand right now, might be a crystal at the end of it. Um, you could magically get everyone to do one thing, just one thing to improve their health. What would it be? Oh boy, I have to pick one thing. I don't was that on there? Is that one? It was on there. Uh, gosh, how did I miss? Did I miss that one? You tricked me. I sometimes do that. 
I guess I would still say, I guess I would still say that one thing I would say for their health, I would say it's twofold. I would say uh, to be a little bit selfish and really truly focus on others. So particularly, I think sometimes we need to be a little selfish means that uh, the start of my day is me. I don't think that's selfish, especially for new mamas. So our daughter-in-law, she's a mother of three. Oh my gosh. And they're all, they're under three, three and under. She is a busy mom. And so, especially for, you know, as, as, especially when we're busy and we carry heavy loads, I think that the really important thing there is to be selfish and focus on others. The two go hand in hand. Being selfish to me looks like the start of my day is mine. I'm in charge of my day. That day starts with some movement, right? Exercise, whatever you want to call it. Nutrition and for my body and my mind and my spirit, right? What do I want to see for my day? I'm going to craft my day. I own my day. I create that before it starts, right? And then that frees me to really take that time that I'm given to really focus on other people. And it's amazing when we focus on other people, I think we really become our best versions of ourselves. When we take ourselves out of the way and we really focus on the people in our stewardship and in our circle, um, I think that would do a lot. for. And, and I know for me personally, in t- hard times, focusing on other people really has helped me. Sure. Kind of like uh, when you're on an airplane and they say, put on the, the air mask on yourself first before you before you take care of others. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. So I think the way you described your day was beautiful. You have to take care of yourself first. So then you are free to take then care you, of others. And then you give. And sometimes it's hard. So especially when people and, and people right now have. Matter of fact, I just did a workshop last weekend specifically for folks who were really struggling. Uh, with depression. Uh, My mom's having a lot of depression and grief right now. My answer always, if you're struggling emotionally and you feel heavy, then you really need to get out and serve somebody else. It will get you out of your own head. The more time we spend unattended up here, (laughs) the more trouble we're going to get into. (laughs) Yeah. And really, I think it's the best antidote for depression is to serve. I'll tell you a story just real briefly. Uh, I remember at a time in my life, it was really, really hard. And um, one of the things I love about being a nurse is that we get to go to some pretty dark places with other people. People trust us to walk through some dark spaces. I gone to see this gentleman one time Now he was hit by a drunk driver when he was 17 and he's now in his fifties. And uh, so he's lived his whole life as a quadriplegic talk about being robbed. Um, and he could only be upright for no more than 30 minutes out of the day. Beautiful man. Every time you saw him, it was all about you. I remember one time I walked in to see him, Nancy, and I asked him, I says, how you doing? He says, oh, I've been, I just rode the Hiawatha and he's telling me all these places he's been. And I'm like, how the heck did you do that? You can't, you know, well, he had VR. And so he was telling me all the places he went in virtual reality and on Google earth and, And I just thought, you know, there's something to be said about getting out of your head. And he really was. He was a sunshine of a person. And people loved to see him. Uh, His house was 
anyway, just serving other people. I promise you, if you're in a dark place and you take get out of your own head and go do something for somebody else, it will totally change how you feel about your life. I love that. Okay. So what is your secret talent or something that people would be surprised to learn about you? Secret talent. Um, well, you know, I can, I can put people under citizen's arrest. I know how to do that. <laughs> that is a good talent. I like it. I, I can like do it. that. Of course, I, that's a story for another day, but I also killed everybody on my ship one time. So <laughs> we're going to leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> okay. So who is the person that you've been with on LinkedIn um, that you're most looking at meeting in real life, having a cup of coffee with? Or if it's not somebody here, maybe somebody you listen to on a podcast. Oh, shut the back door. There are a whole lot of people I could put to that list. I have a lot of mentors that I have not met yet, right? So sometimes I, I'm talking to people and they say, well, I, I would love to have a mentor, a mastermind or whatever, but I don't have anybody. Yes, you do. You got a library, right? So um, Robin Sharma is one of my favorites. He and I are like this and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Spencer Smith junkie. Yep. The value that he shares on that podcast is awesome. Dr. Bricker, love listening to him. There's another chick I love listening to, Nancy Giacalone. I love listening to her too. There's so many amazing, uh, Seth Dennison. He's another one. I every time he opens his mouth, I learn something. I know they're incredible people. Well, yeah. I'm very excited that I will be seeing you in person We'll just have a big, noisy hug fest when we see each other, I'm sure, but Absolutely. in August. But um, are there any final words or thoughts that you want to share with anybody before we leave? And finally, how can people get in contact with you if they want to know more? Sure. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn. I try to be accessible so you can message me, call me, beat me if you want. No, I'm just joking. Um, our, our website is specialtycm.com. Um, you can reach out to us there as well. Um, you can call me. My number's on my LinkedIn profile. You can email. I, I'm pretty accessible. Um, and I guess the one thing that I would hope that people know is that we, those of us in the industry, broker, advisor, consultants, vendors, uh, insurers, third-party administrators, stop loss, it takes all of us to make our system work. And we are the people who are going to uh, uh, protect the golden goose, our industry. If we don't, somebody else is going to come in and clean house and we're probably not going to like where they put the spoons. Right. So, um, yeah, so I'm just really I'm really happy to be in this space. I'm happy to help folks uh, love meeting people. If we can do uh, business and be helpful, that's fantastic. If not, I, I, I genuinely do want to know who people are and what they do and and how I can be of service. So. Yeah. And that is truth about Kimberly. So thank you all for joining us today. Um, I will look forward to seeing you next week, Kimberly. I can hardly wait until August. Okay. <laughs>